Romans 15 tonight, the epistle of Romans, uh, Paul's epistle to the church of Rome, chapter 15, and we're going to read three verses together as we continue this kind of unofficial study that we've been doing on Wednesday nights that I've entitled a church prayer list, a church prayer list. Romans 15, verses 5 through 7 tonight, and when you found it, I ask if you would stand out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Romans 15, 5 through 7. And look at what Paul wrote here. He said, Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Father, we love you, and Lord, we thank you for the time we have tonight to be together, to look into your word give us, I pray now, ears to hear and a heart to obey everything you'd have for us tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So on Wednesday nights, what we're doing is we're looking to deepen our prayer list, looking to go beyond the physical and learn to emphasize what really matters most, and that is the spiritual side of life. Amen. And so what we're doing is we're looking at the prayers, some of the prayers, the requests that the Apostle Paul had for the churches that the Lord allowed him to minister to. And we figure if they were important enough for Paul to pray for them, then maybe, just maybe, they'd be good for us to pray for for ourselves as well. And so tonight we're going to be looking in Romans chapter 15, another prayer of Paul for a church. And here we find that Paul prays that God would grant this church to be like-minded. Or maybe to use a word that's a little more familiar, uh, we could say God. Paul prayed that God would grant this church to be unified. To be unified. Now, I think it's important for us to know from the get-go that this wasn't just a prayer request of the Apostle Paul. But long before the Apostle Paul prayed for this, in Romans 15, Jesus prayed for this in John 17. John 17, beginning in verse 20, if you would. These are the words of Jesus. He said, neither pray I for these alone, speaking of his disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given to them, that they may be what, church? One, even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Verse 21, verse 22, verse 23. What does Jesus pray for? That we who believe in him would be one. 
Psalmist put it this way, Psalm 133 in verse number 1, Behold, how good and how pleasant is it for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now we see here from the words of the psalmist, from the words of Jesus, from the words of Paul, that unity is a powerful necessity both for life inside the church and ministry outside the body of Christ. It is something important. And church, if it's important, it's not a leap to say we should pray for it. We should pray for it. If it's something that can be a struggle, which can unity be a struggle sometimes? I know, not here, not ever here. But you've heard of churches, right? That have struggled with unity from time to time. If unity could potentially be a struggle, then don't you think we should pray for it? Not the struggle, unity. Humanly speaking, unity is a fragile thing. It is easily misrepresented and misunderstood. It's easily shattered and lost. All it takes is one word, one reaction, one seed of discord. And unity can be undermined. Now here's an important note. And I think it really sets the stage for what we're going to study tonight in Romans 15. Unity and like-mindedness is not necessarily the focus of a healthy church. All right. Now, I know that runs counterintuitive to the way the world thinks today, but unity or like-mindedness is not necessarily a focus of a healthy church. In other words, we shouldn't be going, unity, 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 unity. No, it's not the focus. Rather, it is the fruit of a healthy church. In other words, if we are a healthy church, then it will be a natural byproduct that we will be a unified church. A like-minded church. So while praying for unity then isn't necessar- is not necessarily bad, asking God to give us those things that help produce unity is probably a little bit better. And so we're going to look at what Paul prayed here and hopefully add some things to our prayer list this evening. So what are these things that Paul prayed for for this church that, that, that uh, really helped produce unity and like-mindedness? Look with me at verse number 5 and we'll start looking at this together. He says, now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Can I ask you to note first tonight, I want you to note our godly pattern. Our godly pattern. Now before Paul gets into his prayer for for how we ought to treat or receive one another, what does he do? He reminds us how God treats and receives us. Did you note that? Now, before God said, before Paul says, this is how you ought to receive one another, he reminds you that he is asking the God of patience and consolation to help us with these things. Aren't you glad that God's a patient God? I'm grateful. Exodus chapter 34, when God decided to describe himself, he did, the, did it this way. Exodus 34 and verse number 6, the Bible says, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant and goodness and truth. Boy, aren't you glad God is a long-suffering, patient God. Aren't you glad God's patient with you? How many times did we shut our heart to the gospel before we finally received it? Aren't you glad that uh, God didn't knock you straight into hell the first time you rejected him? You know, the only reason any of us stayed alive long enough to receive the Lord Jesus is because, how does does Peter put it? 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord is long-suffering to us, right? 
Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the reason he hadn't closed up this whole thing yet. Because he loves us. And he's long-suffering. And he's patient. How many times we shut our heart to the gospel before we were saved? How many dumb things have we done since we've been saved? Lamentations reminds us it is of his mercies that we are not consumed. (laughs) Great is his faithfulness. But aren't you glad God is patient? That he doesn't look at how you and I act and how you and I think. He doesn't look at how fickle we are and say, you know what? That guy is just more trouble than he's worth. I'm done. I'm done. Aren't you glad God is patient? He's he's not only the God of patience. He's the God of consolation. That means comfort. Aren't you glad that he's the God of all comfort? Psalm 86 and verse 15 reminds us, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse number 3 describes him as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Aren't you glad his throne of grace is always just a prayer away? Even when the pain and problem is our fault. His throne of grace is just a prayer away. I think about uh, when Peter walked on the water for a moment. The Bible says what? That when the wind blew and the waves kicked up, he did what? He took his eyes off Jesus. And looking at the winds and the waves, he began to what? He began to sink. You know, that pain and problem was his own doing, was it not? But in that moment, what did he do? He cried out, Lord, save me. Now, I love the illustration. Did Jesus hold him half up and say, Peter, do you really mean it? Peter, huh, 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 huh? Peter, you messed up, so I think I'm going to have to leave you here for it. No, what did it say? It says, and immediately the scripture says, he lifted him up. Aren't you glad that he is the God of all comfort? And that even when the pain and the problem is of our own doing, that his throne of grace is just a prayer away. Aren't you glad that when the pain and problem isn't of our own doing, that his grace is still sufficient? That his grace is still sufficient. You know, church, we have a pattern for how we ought to treat one another. I think we just have to look at how God has treated you. He hasn't given up on you. He hasn't written you off or thrown you away. He doesn't badmouth you to the angels. There goes George again. I gave you Sunday off. All right, George. So you had to know it was coming. He doesn't badmouth you to the angel. He doesn't spread your plenteous shortcomings to the saints who've gone before. No, he loves you. And when you mess up, he's patient towards you. And when you hurt, he is compassionate towards you. And you know, when you're looking for an example for how we ought to treat one another, I think we ought to just start with how God has treated us. You know, you think about God's compassion too. You think about this, none of your problems are big problems to God. I mean, there are big problems to you, and I don't want to minimize anything that you're facing or anything you have been through, but none of your problems are big problems to God. And from the perspective of eternity, our problems are even smaller. 
Right? I mean, they are. The light suffering that we experience but for a moment is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. I mean, this is a light affliction in comparison to the perspective of eternity and what awaits us. So you think about that. Our problems are small problems. You know sometimes when kids bring small problems, I I think about my kids, or most of my kids are still in elementary school, and their problems are very real to them. But the interpersonal issues of a third grader and a fifth grader and a sixth grader, they're not real big problems in the scheme of things, right? But you know what? What do I do as a father? Hopefully not. Kid, what's wrong with you? That's not a big deal. Get over it. Fix it yourself. What do you do? You get down there and you hug them, you console them, and you love on them. And that's what God does for us. Amen. And beloved, that's what we ought to do for one another. Paul here, he's like preaching a sermon as he's praying. That's what good preachers do sometimes. The God of patience and consolation. You know, there would be far less friction in the body if we treated one another like God has treated us. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 14. This is a wonderful verse. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient towards most men, towards all men. I like to say that's Amy's life verse. She takes out, she does the all men, she removes the M and smushes them together. So her Bible reads, be patient towards Alan. But uh, (laughs) she's not here tonight, so. But man, what if we just decided we were going to treat one another like God has treated us? You know, I think it would contribute to the unity of the body, don't you? You think maybe we should add it to our prayer list? God, help me to treat others like you have treated me. So we see, number one, our godly pattern. We see the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded toward Another, one toward another. What are those next four words? Church, read them in unison with me. According to Christ Jesus. Not only do we have our godly pattern. Again, this is our church prayer list. We're we're praying for unity and like-mindedness. What are the things in a healthy church that promote unity and like-mindedness? Number one, when we follow our God-given pattern. Number two, when we abide by our guarding principle. You know, this issue of God granting us to be like-minded one toward another, it is according to Christ Jesus. That's very specific. Paul prays that our like-mindedness or our unity would be according to Christ Jesus. Now, let me step back and develop a little bit for us tonight. Typically, unity is found in shared interest or experience. People find unity around sports teams. Um, 
Ohio State, Michigan, we have to deal with it every year, right? Right. But people find unity around sports teams. Ooh, people find unity around politics, don't they? And about potential political candidates and this and this and this. But when people share an interest, experience, or identity, what do they do? They typically find some level of unity. People find unity as they share careers, share hobbies like cars, military service. Military guys and gals tend to get along pretty well because of their shared interest and experience. Even nationality. You know, you go out of the country and you find another American. Hey, I'm from America too. And it's you find a little bit of commonality. And so unity, this is important, is found in a shared interest, experience, or identity. Now, let me point this out. Unity is a terrible source of unity. In other words, let's just all be one. What does that mean? Well, it means we're all just going to be one. We're all going to be unified. Well, what does that mean? It means we're all just going to be unified. No matter what, let's just be unified. Unity is a terrible source of unity. Because for unity to be worth something, it has to be about something worthwhile. Now, the unity of the church comes from our shared experience with and commitment to, what did the verse say? According to Christ Jesus. The unity of the church comes from our shared experience with and commitment to Jesus Christ. So, comes from Him. Our unity then comes because of doctrine, because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has taught, not in spite of doctrine. Ephesians chapter 4, look what it says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then he begins to delineate those things that can help us to be unified. Look what he says in verse number 4, there is one body and one spirit even as ye are called in one hope of your calling one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all in other words our shared understanding of the teaching of jesus christ is a source of our unity unity does not come in spite of doctrine but because of doctrine what we believe is important. It binds us together. Can I go a step further? Our unity then comes because our behavior follows our beliefs. In other words, we hold to the same beliefs and then we're going to behave what we believe. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your conversation, that word conversation means lifestyle, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, that I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In other words, when we behave what we believe, it does what? It unifies us. 
It makes us like-minded. And so unity is only worth something if it is about something worthwhile. Now, can I tell you, sports can be fun, but I'm not forming my identity on sports. And I'm not saying politics don't have their place, but hear me, neither the Democrat or Republican Party is the physical manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth. I'm not forming my identity and drawing my guarding principles on unity based on politics or on nationality or on a career or a hobby. I'm going to tell you, there is something worthwhile that we can draw together about. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And so our unity comes because of the doctrine of Christ. Our unity comes because we have decided to follow Christ and our behavior follows our beliefs. All of this, these guarding principles, they help to guard the unity that we have in Christ. Now, how does it guard, preacher, you say? Because unity like this not only requires us to draw together along these lines, it also requires for us to separate or draw apart from that which would undermine what holds us together. Romans 16 and verse number 7, Paul said this, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the what? Doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Well, you say, that doesn't sound very Christian, except it's in the Bible, so your version of Christianity in your little brain is probably off. I mean, in Christian love, may I say. In Christian love. I'm going to tell you, the unity of the church exists in and through and according to Christ alone. If it is anything other than Christ, it's not true unity of the church. It's kind of like this. I mean, we do it in life. Let's go back to the sports illustration, right? So it's the big game, and it's Michigan versus Ohio State, and you're a diehard Ohio State fan and throwing an Ohio State party. Like, he's not here tonight, but you're not inviting Don Barlow. He's a Michigan guy. Like, there are just times when you have to separate, right? Because what he would bring to the party would not be in line with what we were trying to do. So we do it in sports. We do it in other things in life. I, 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 all of a sudden, though, the reality that we need to try to stay pure in doctrine and we need to have our behavior line up with our beliefs and we need to draw together along those lines, for whatever reason, it's gone out of vogue in the church. But true unity only exists in Christ, through Christ, and according to Christ. I'm going to tell you, that ought to move us as a church. Move us to know him more, to know his word more, to seek his way more. Because when being more like Jesus is our shared principle, you know what happened? We can't help but grow in unity. And we can't help but grow in like-mindedness. And this is a guarding principle. What does it do? It guards us against empty ecumenicism. Ecumenism. Ecumenism is where we're all just going to get together, lock arms, and sing kumbaya for Jesus, right? Well, what do you believe? Doesn't matter. What do you believe? Doesn't matter. Let's just all lock arms, right? 
It's unity for unity's sake. It, it, this, this ecumenism says, let's remove the issues that cause division. But you know what it does? When you remove the issues, it guts Christianity until nothing is left but the 11th commandment. Do you know what the 11th commandment is? Be kind, and none of the other 10 matter. I mean, isn't that our world today? Just be kind. Just be kind. But church, rather than gutting our unity, keeping Christ the standard guards our unity. Because when Christ is the standard, the unity of the church becomes bigger than me, and it becomes bigger than you, and our preferences, and our pettiness. You know, we need to keep the guarding principle, the Lord Jesus, who he is, what he's taught. It builds the unity of the church. Perhaps we should add it to our prayer list. So what do we see? These, these things that help to produce unity in the bottom, uh, body. Number one, we see our what? What is it? Where are we going to pray for? Our godly pattern. Lord, help us to treat others like you have treated me. Number two, it's our what? Our guarding principle. Lord, our unity, we want it to be what? According to Christ Jesus. Let me give you one more. Verse number six. Read this one in unison with me, if you would. That ye may, with one mind and one mouth, glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see, first of all, our godly pattern, our God-given pattern. We see, secondly, our, guide, our guarding principle. We see, thirdly tonight, and finally, our, guarding, our guiding passion. I'll get it out. Our guiding passion. Paul prays that the like-mindedness of verse 5 would lead us to further glorify God with one mind and one mouth for an even greater oneness. When the glory of God is our shared passion, unity can't help but grow in the body. When the glory of God is our shared passion, unity can't help but grow in the body. Here's the thing. No matter where we start from, living for the glory of God will always pull us closer together. Let me give you this illustration. George, I'm going to work you double time tonight, all right? George, I want you to go stand by those doors. Let me give you a little backstory on George. George, George grew up. See, you, you people think I'm going to be mean to George. I'm not. George drew, grew up in a godly home. George was saved at the age of five. George never smoked. He never drank. He never chewed. He never ran with those who do and uh, all those things. You know, George was blessed to grow up in a good place and to be reared and be in a good church and, and to grow in the things of the Lord. So, so George, you're about as spiritually brought up as they come. You're in the world's eyes, buddy, you're green. You're about as innocent as they come in the world's eyes. Let me have somebody be the polar opposite. Charles Kaufman. Charles Kaufman, you've been arrested seven times. You've been arrested seven times, Charles, for various and sundry misdemeanors and felonies. But you got saved. Now, Charles and George cannot be more different. I mean, George comes from a very protected, 
Christ-centered environment. Charles comes with a lot of baggage, a lot, a lot of, a lot, a lot of things that he's seen and he's done. And but they're both saved, Amen. These guys couldn't come from different backgrounds. But here's the thing: if they're both living for the glory of Christ, watch what happens. Go ahead, guys. Live your life. Your journey is now, we're living our lives. They are living their lives, seeking the Lord, growing the Lord, and praying in the Lord, and, and they're seeking His will, and they're ministering to others, and they're going through discipleship, and they're serving. You can walk a little faster. George, Charles is beating you. All right, come on, come on. George, grow. I gave you the good start. Grow a little faster, George. And they're growing, and they're growing, and they're growing. And what are they doing? They're living for the glory of God. And what happens? Hey, these two guys who couldn't have been farther apart in the world's eyes, the more they live for Christ, what's happening? The closer they're getting. The closer they're getting. By the way, you look around. Look around tonight. You can pause. Look at that. Oh, that's beautiful. Thanks, guys. Stay right there. I want you to look around tonight. You know what you see? You see people of different ages. You see people of different income levels. You see people with different life experiences. You see people of different ethnicities. You see it all tonight, don't you? Is there any reason why this works? Is there any reason Larry Petrie and I should be friends from an earthly standpoint? I mean, what, what, what would cause our lives to intersect in a meaningful way? Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, church, when we live with a passion for the glory of God, to with one mind and one mouth, what does the verse say? Glorify God. When we live to glorify God, guess what happens? We can't help but get pulled closer together. And the, oh, that's, that's perfect. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. Hey, we're almost done. Can I show you some unity in heaven? How many of us know there'll be unity in heaven? Let me show you a picture of the unity in heaven. Revelation 5, beginning in verse 11. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels. Many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. So we have an innumerable crowd. And we have a very varied crowd. We've got uh, the angels, and we've got those that are referred to as the beast, and we've got the elders, and then we've got thousands and thousands and ten thousands and yada, 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 saying with a loud voice, what are they saying? Worthy is the lamb that was slain. You want to see unity in heaven? We'll read it. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. You want to see unity in heaven? What is unity of heaven around? It is passionate about the praise and glory of God. By the way, if that can keep tens of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands all together, I'm pretty sure living with a passion for the glory of God can keep our little band together as well. And when we have a shared passion, not to lift up some preacher or some teacher, not to lift up some place, but to lift up Jesus. I'm going to tell you, the unity of the body will grow. 
And here's the beautiful thing about having a passion for the glory of God. You recognize no matter your situation and no matter your supply, you can always choose to live to the glory of God. Paul said as simply as Romans 10 verse 31, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Yes, you can always choose to live to God's glory. Here's the thing. You can't always buy the car you want, but you can always live for the glory of God. You can't always have your way, but you can always live for the glory of God. Sometimes you'll go to Dunkin' Donuts and they won't have donuts, which seems strange because donuts is in the name. But even when life disappoints you, you know what you can do? You can live for the glory of God. You can always, hear me, you can always choose to live for the glory of God. You may be a hundred years old, but guess what? You can choose to live for the glory of God. You may be 15 years old, but guess what? You can choose to live for the glory of God. You might be rich. You might be poor. Chances are you're somewhere in between. But guess what we can all do? Choose every day, every moment to live to the glory of God. Guess what? You and I won't always get along. Sometimes I'll say things that offend you, and sometimes you'll say things that offend me. Sometimes I'll look at you funny. Sometimes you'll look at me funny. But even when we don't agree, guess what we can decide to do even in the midst of our disagreement? I'm, I'm going to choose to handle this in such a way that it does what? Glorifies God. And then guess what happens to our disagreement? Chances are... If we share that passion, we find a way to get through it for the glory of God. For the glory of God. For the glory of God. I'm going to tell you, he is worthy of us living our lives for his glory in all things. And I'm going to tell you, since he's worthy, don't you think we ought to pray and ask him to help us do it? When these things are in place, what, what, what are the things that we're talking about? Number one, what do we talk about? Number one, our what? Our godly pattern, our God-given pattern. That I'm going to treat you like God has treated me. Number two, our guarding principle, that, that our unity or like-mindedness is going to be what? According to, oh, come on, church. Our unity or like-mindedness is going to be according to Christ Jesus, right? He is the determining standard. It's not unity for unity's sake. He is the determining standard. And number three, we saw what? Uh, not only our, our God-given pr- uh, pattern and our guarding principle, but what? Our, guarding, our guiding passion. We're going to, with one mind and one mouth, we're going to live for what? Live for the glory of God. When these things are in place, you see what happens in verse number seven? Wherefore, we see because of these things, receive ye one another. As Christ also received us to the glory of God. Church, this thing of being like-minded, this thing of having unity, this thing of being one, it was Paul's prayer. It was Jesus' prayer. Don't you think it ought to be our prayer too? Perhaps tonight we could add it to our church prayer list.